0: It's like winning the World Cup every day for months and months and months. That's that feeling. It's it's something you you, I, you can't trade it. You you just can't
1: Hey, my name is Felix Tia. I'm the host of Shopify Masters, a weekly podcast powered by Shopify. The easiest way to sell online, in person, and anywhere in between. Each week, we invite entrepreneurs like you to share what they've learned growing successful e-commerce businesses. In this episode, you'll learn how to use your Facebook friends to launch your business faster, why it's important to know how much you're willing to lose when starting a business, and how this entrepreneur prepared to pitch on QVC in less than 24 hours. Today, I'm joined by Krista Woods from Glove Sticks, which also sells the Stank Sticks. The Stank Sticks and the Glove Sticks are placed inside your gloves and skates and cleats and, and more. They absorb moisture, inhibit bacteria, and deodorize and start in 2015 and based out of Virginia. Welcome, Krista.
0: Hi, Felix. Thanks for having me.
1: Excited to have you on. So, this all started with your son playing school sports. So what did you realize about sports gear?
0: Ha, it stinks. Um, that's exactly how it started. Um, it really got bad when my son started playing travel. Lacrosse, uh, lacrosse is, was his sport, and he started playing travel in middle school. And I was like, oh my gosh, it was so bad. And we were stuck with the gear in the car, and then we'd be stuck with the gear in the hotel. And all the parents would talk about it, like, what do you do for the smell? The smell, we'd try everything, nothing would work. So that's how uh, my product came about.
1: Got it. So you had this problem. You couldn't find anything existing in the market that was solving it. What were the first steps that you took to try to solve this for yourself?
0: Um, The first thing I did was I actually tried all the products available that were on the market. So once I figured out that none of them worked, not only that, most of them were hazardous. They had all kinds of warning labels on the bottles, um, which... we're selling them for children's sports gear. And so I was really disappointed, um, some very popular pharmaceutical companies that sell all these chemicals. Um, so between that and them not actually working for a very long time, I was like, okay, I'm going to invent something myself that actually works. And that's actually safe and chemical free. So I started obsessing, um, literally obsessing. I Googled everything that had to do with odor and stink and how, how it stinks and why it stinks. I asked everybody I knew that played the sport, what they had tried, what they had done, if anything had worked. I Googled tricks um, and basically spent about a few months researching products and what worked and what didn't work. Until I came up with uh, the actual product that I have today, which is actually really cool that the, the prototype that we first came up with is the actual product that we currently sell four years later.:
1: Awesome. So this this uh, first like prototype that, that you're talking about or the one that you still have today, this was basically you made it yourself, right? It wasn't like done by manuf- I'm not sure we'll, we'll get to this in a bit, but it wasn't done by like a manufacturer or anything. At any point like you're done doing this at home.
0: Right. So um, I came to find out pretty quickly that the reason why nothing had worked, because most of them were like sprays that you would spray on. Well, what causes the odor is bacteria. So the kid sweats, it gets trapped into their gloves or shoes. They throw it in a gear bag and that humidity and moisture breeds bacteria babies, which is actually what you smell inside the gear. That's what makes things smell so bad and why you can't get rid of it. So I knew right away that I had to make something that reduces bacteria. So if I could reduce the bacteria and also reduce the moisture at the same time, I also realized there was nothing currently on the market that did that. So there were sprays that you could spray on something that would get rid of the bacteria, and there were stuff that you could stick in it to absorb the moisture, but nothing did both. So once I figured that out, we made the prototype in the garage Um, I contacted a company, I found a company that actually puts a product called silver ions inside of, um, hospitals. So they put them in everything in a hospital. 60% of the hospitals around the world is who they work with. So they were non-toxic, chemical free. They didn't absorb in your skin. So it's an antimicrobial solution that goes in all the plastic. And once I found out that I could use that in my product, that's when our product went to the next level and when I actually started manufacturing.
1: Got it. So, did you have experience creating a product or running a business before this?
0: So, that's the interesting part. Everything I do right now in my job is brand new. So, um, I totally taught myself everything from how to invent a product, how to go through manufacturing, how to start logistics, how to open up a website how to do any sort of e-commerce or Facebook marketing or Facebook pages. Everything was just trial and error, and I have zero experience in any of it. And I had very little money, so um, I pretty much had impossible odds going into this.
1: Got it. So this is, I think, a very entrepreneurial, right? Where you have a problem that you're facing and you learn the pieces that you need to put together to, to make the next step happen. I think the challenge that is for a lot of people is that they don't know what they should be spending their time learning next. So how do you know what is the next thing that you should focus your your time on learning, on mastering?
0: Um, well, one of the things that I did was, that worked for me is, number one, my only focus was on the product, So that is all I did for the first year. To be honest with you, even when I got a year later, when I got my first units in hand, I kind of was like, oh, great. What do I do now? I mean, I spent that much time focusing on the product itself, not the actual business model afterwards. And I know a lot of people don't do that, but there were things that I wanted to make sure about the product that number one, that I could sell it, obviously that I would have a big enough market. But number two, that I could sell it at an affordable price while still having a good margin for myself to make money. So I also knew real quick, I was like, well, if it's too expensive, we're not going to buy it, right? Nobody's going to pay for it. So I had to be an expensive enough price. And I think that was something that I really learned in the beginning. But not only that, I wanted to keep it non-toxic and chemical free so that it was a good selling point for the parents as well as the kids. And I also didn't want to make it overly scented. So that is something I took all the users. So the end user and what they wanted, I interviewed all my son's friends who played the sport and what they liked or didn't like about certain things that they, their parents would currently use. And so I tried to make it boy approved and I tried to make it effective for the end user as well. So that is something that was really important to me.
1: So lots of factors to to balance, like this affordability, making sure the product has features that, that the end consumer wanted, that the parents cared about, making sure you have healthy profit profit margins. How did you? I guess what was your process to make sure that you're hitting all of these these targets? Because some of them could be conflicting, right?
0: Um, I I wouldn't say necessarily that they're conflicting, but I definitely feel like some of them were a lot harder to hit or you weren't really sure. I just had to go based on faith and trusting the fact that I could do this and that more people would want it. If my son and his friends wanted it and they thought they were cool, that more people would want them in that same market. And what I didn't know is I knew my market was lacrosse or that's what I thought. But what I didn't realize is every sport had the same exact problem. Um, so my market was actually millions and millions of people bigger than what I initially even possibly dreamed. Um, we did not have my husband didn't have stinky shoe problem, but millions of men who just wear normal shoes have stinky shoe problems. Um, so so my market is much larger than I initially intended and I did not focus on like. A lot of people start the business and they say, "Oh, okay. Well, I have to have a million dollar business, or I'm only going to do this if if I can make a lot of money." For me, it, my goals had nothing to do with money. My goal was, can I actually invent a product that works and people will buy? Maybe it's only a thousand people that will buy, but it didn't. Re- that part didn't really matter to me as much as it was the challenge to invent an actual product like that was the coolest part to me
1: right and then the the, the money part that does come in when you want to think about can this be sustainable though, right because you can you can create a product that somebody will buy, would then sink a bunch of money into it and it not be sustainable. So it seems like you did care about things like again, like profit margins, making sure that there was a healthy business behind it. That was part of the the kind of chase that you're going after. So this this you mentioned earlier that the R and D process took a few months. So it only took you a few months to really nail down the, the end product, the end prototype that hit that list of criteria for you.
0: Yeah. So I spent about three months researching. And then I spent, um, my husband made the prototype so um, we, we drew out the designs and then he actually made the prototype in the garage. And then we tested a few different products to absorb moisture, like what was lightly scented, what was um, absorbed the best. And then my son would use them during practice and after practice in his gear. So that's kind of how we tested it. And that was about three to four months. And then in um, January of 2015 is actually when we went to manufacturing. So I found a manufacturing partner, no joke, through that six month process, I literally must have posted on Facebook a million times. And I think people don't do that enough. Like one of the things I think that I did really, really well was I used my, 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 friend group that's on Facebook. I mean, what's the point of having a thousand friends if you're not going to use their resources? And I was like, Hey, does anyone know anyone who does this? Does anyone have any connections with anyone who does this? I'm trying to invent a product. Has anyone ever done that before? And I would have friends of friends of friends. Like I would get a friend who would comment and say, Hey, yes, my friend does this. Let me you want to reach out to them and I'd be like, absolutely, please. And then they would connect me. So I used my network of f- current friends that I've known for years via Facebook to actually get to the manufacturing process. I would not have been able to do it if I did not do that. You can read all you want on the internet, and that use your network of, of people. So I feel like for me, that was essential to how fast I was able to do it. I I, I mentor people all the time, I'll be honest, and they'll tell me, oh, I've been working on this idea for five years. And I'm like, okay, well, are you ever going to do it? (laughs) Because if you wait too long, at some point, you just talk yourself out of there's a million reasons why not to do something. I do think people who do this have to be a little bit crazy because it's, It's kind of insane to think I'm at 41 years old. I've never done any of this before, but now I'm going to invent and all of a sudden sell a product. Um, But if my my fear, I was not afraid that I was going to fail. I was afraid that I was going to have this awesome idea and never do anything with it.
1: Right. So I think that that makes a lot of sense about how you want to really speed up your your efforts because you. You you give you t- wait too long. You give your brain enough time to rationalize why this is a crazy endeavor, yeah. and you really use your network because you were not ashamed either. You aren't ashamed to put yourself out there and like say you need all these things. I think a lot of entrepreneurs that might take a lot of time is because they take the approach of kind of hiding in the lab and like working. I think a part of it is something that you alluded to, which is about this fear of failing and not just failing, but failing publicly. Because you're going, if you're going out there and saying, I'm trying to invent this product, I'm trying to start this business, I have this idea that I'm trying to pursue, and all of a sudden you don't you're not you're not able to accomplish it, people might be like, Hey, what happened to that thing that you were talking about six months ago? But you never had that fear or did you have it but you were able to somehow work through it?
0: To be honest, I never had that fear. I, I absolutely I never had the fear that whether I was going to do it or not, that people were going to judge me for that. Like I, I literally didn't. It's kind of like every time I look at it like this, when I'm going on a diet, I tell people I'm going to diet. So I, I can be held accountable. It doesn't mean that if my goal was to lose 20 pounds and I only lost 15 and then gain back five, that I'm a big loser. I don't look at life like that. I want the accountability to keep me to my goals Knowing that people lose weight and gain weight and I kind of looked at it like that like that it was like okay here I am world can you help me get there and I think that's a mistake a lot of people make is they try to keep it to themselves. And I also did so much research on the patent process and how hard it is to get a patent. And I read so many patents. And I think so many people are afraid to share about what their product is because they think someone's going to steal the idea. And when I realized how hard it was to actually go through the manufacturing process, I was like, the odds of people stealing an idea before it's even born and you've even proven that it can sell are literally slim to none. They only steal the ideas after you've proven it, you have a market and it can sell and you're making money. Then they go, oh, I can steal your idea. Um, but in the beginning, very few people would actually do that. So I was not afraid of that either.
1: Right. That makes sense. Okay. So you, we talked earlier about how you're solving this problem for, for yourself. How did When did you realize that there was a business behind it? When did that kind of switch gears in your head from trying to solve this for yourself to let me see if I can invent a product and then turn it into a business?
0: So I knew if I was going to invent a product, one thing about me, I'm actually, um, I'm not, a, I'm a pretty big, I'm a risk taker. I would say socially, um, but absolutely not financially. So it is not something I do not like to spend money. I'm not a shopper. I'm, I'm totally a saver. And so that was the hardest part for me is when I realized, okay, this is going to cost me money. How much money am I willing to lose? And my husband and I sat down and we were just kind of like, all right, we need to go in. I need to go into this saying, This is a really cool, it's an idea. I'm, I feel like I'm completely nuts for doing this, but we really think we should do it. So how much are we willing to lose? So that's kind of how he went into it. I know that sounds absolutely crazy, but for me, it wasn't like, oh, I can make this a million dollar business or, oh, I can be uber successful. It was just like, I have this really cool idea. I need to be able to sell 1500 units in order to make my money back. So how many should I order? And that's how I figured out how many to order is what I needed to sell in order to make my money back on the initial investment that we were making. Uh, between the mold and the prototype and all that. So it was 1,500 units, and that's what I ordered to see how right. it would go.
1: I think that's an important question to ask yourself. How much are you willing to lose? Because you are going to need to invest something up front to, if you want to build an actual business that that can scale, that you can work with manufacturers. And I think this is, a, this is going to be a deeply personal answer, but how do you know if you are being realistic or not with the number that you have in your head?
0: I definitely think it's very personal. I think it's, um, everybody has different financial situations. My husband and I both had good jobs at the time. It's not like we had a lot of money, but we, it, we didn't live paycheck to paycheck. We were able to save a little bit, but we had a huge expenses coming up. We had just paid off for our daughter's education and we, our son was about to go to college. So for us, um, we felt very fortunate that we had, a uh, the money saved for his college and we had money set aside and we decided that's what we are willing to lose because not everybody not everybody pays for their kids' colleges today's world. It's very expensive to do and not everybody can afford to do it. And we were blessed, we felt like we were blessed. We were able to to pay for our daughters and then it was our son's turn and we were like, you know what? Let's take this money and let's go for it. And if we make it back, great. If we make more, great. But at least I can say I tried. I did it. (laughs) It was just I obsessed for such a long time doing research. It was kind of like I spent so much time doing it. I had to do it. I've worked really hard. I've always had a job and, and really good jobs. And so I felt like we would still be above water if I lost that amount. Does that Hmm. make sense? And I think think that's different for everybody. So I wasn't quitting my other job and doing this. I still had my other job. So I was still able to pay my bills. And my husband had his job. So it's not like I was quitting everything, leaving everything, and then starting new. I was actually taking a savings to do it.
1: Right. So let's talk about that. What are the what? What have you? What did you find that are the benefits of taking this uh, safer path? You know, you hear the, the the typical entrepreneurship advice of quitting your job and just going full into it, even if you don't have, you know, everything planned out. But you took a much more, I think, a safer approach than what you would typically hear. Keeping your day job and and working on this thing, basically on the side. What kind of benefits did you find came out of the pro, the, the safer approach that you took?
0: Um. Obviously, I think it helped a little bit with my sanity as far as – you know, the first six or eight months, there's a lot more money that went into starting glove sticks than I ever even dreamed. So, we took the initial investment to make the product, but then you need the investment of the marketing, and then you got to have a website, and then you have to do this, and everything costs money, right? So, um, one of the things that I didn't plan on is all the marketing money that it would cost to get my product out there in the world. And because we did not have the money saved for that part of it, that was definitely um, a shocking revelation when we first realized, We okay, great. All of our friends shared, everybody shared, we had several hundred sold when they first came out, but then what? So we relied on hard work. And I think that hard work, if you can work hard, I, we have no problem with that. So it's truly a family business. And what I mean is we had it delivered to, we saved money on every avenue, everything you can think of. I learned and had to taught to do myself. I did my own accounting, which by the way, accounting is not math. So I thought, Oh, I'm good at math. I can do it. Well, that was a real challenge. Um, so that was the first person I hired when my business started growing was a uh, bookkeeper uh, because I could not stand it, but I did it anyway. I taught myself how to do it. Um, I taught myself how to manage my website. I had a friend put my website together, and then I taught her she uh, you know, she taught me and then I taught myself how to keep going with the website and how to fix things on it and how to change the pictures. And same with the Facebook. I taught myself how to do Facebook marketing. I taught myself how to put the products on Amazon. So I just would watch blogs, listen to blogs like this. I would listen to podcasts. I'd do my research on the internet. And I'd fill myself with knowledge so that I wasn't costing the company any more money by keep hiring these people. And I think that was really important for me because I wanted to know how to do everything I could. So I did everything on my own Everything I could so that I didn't have to pay anyone a salary
1: Right, so there was a point though that you, you reached where you 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 saw that You guys are going to deeper territory past how much you're willing to lose It sounds like you guys didn't account for Like you mentioned that the marketing all of a sudden How you ask yourself how do we even sell to people that don't know who we are Like outside of our friends and family So at that point how did you guys rationalize like Okay, maybe we can extend this a little bit further And, and take a little bit of a bigger risk did you, did you have to make, did you have to have that kind of conversation?
0: Um, definitely. I, I mean, I felt it right. So what I always look at it this way. What's the, what is the definition of insanity? It's doing the same thing over and over again with expecting different results. So I felt what we had done in the beginning was we, 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 tried to do as much on social media as I could, but then we would work on the weekends. So we would go to all kinds of sporting events. So during the week we worked our other jobs. Then on the weekend we'd pack up and we'd drive to a lacrosse tournament or a hockey tournament or somewhere. We, d- we drove up to 18 hours one, um, each way one weekend to reach different market for hockey. So these were the things that we did that sometimes we would make money Sometimes we wouldn't, but we didn't look at it like, oh, how much money did we make this weekend? Because our other jobs paid a lot more than, than glove sticks did. We looked at it like how many people did we get to share our product with this weekend? And then we would notice, so we would sell a bunch of sticks at an event. And then we'd notice that whole following week, we'd sell more and more and more. We'd start to get customer testimonials, reviews, emails to the site that I could then share um, in, via social media, and then I made a t- customer testimonial book, and I go to more events and more events, and that got exhausting after about eight months. So of course, that insanity kicks in again because it's not all—it's not all easy. It's not like we went to all these events and we were like, "Yeah, we're rolling in the dough." No, we were just breaking even. We were just trying to deliver our message about our products. Um, so it was a lot a lot of hard work. Several times we got rained out of events. We actually drove through a blizzard. One event got canceled because of a blizzard. Like so many things happened in the beginning. And that's when I was like, okay, I need to do something different. Um, and I need to think out of the box. So that's when I applied for the Today Show's Next Big Thing.
1: Got it, so I definitely want to touch, talk, touch, that, touch on that in a second. So I want to understand more about when you were in the middle of all of this, Were you thinking to yourself like, wow, this is going slower or taking longer than I expected? Or did you feel like it was moving faster than you expected?
0: There was so much excitement and joy when the product first came out. Like I was so proud of myself. (laughs) I know that sounds silly, but I actually like had a product for sale in my hand. And I was like, oh my gosh, I invented something. Are you kidding me? Um, so I was so proud of myself and so was everyone in my community. So was everyone in my friends, all my Facebook friends, they would share for me. And so the initial sales were awesome. But, you know, a month later, you can't, you can't rely on friends and family after that, right? They did their part in the beginning. So I think for me, it was like that was the only option was to go out and work hard and find other ways to share the product.
1: Mm-hmm. So I think, I think a lot of people that come on this show are either, you know, single, no family. You and, you know, you, you have a, you had a family that you have a family when you're starting this thing out. You had, you know, young, it wasn't like you had young kids. You had uh, kids that were, had, you know, expenses, right? They were going, doing sports. They're going to college. They were, you know, more grown, grown up with kids, kids. What kind of, I think we understand like a lot of challenges with this. What are some of the more surprising challenges that came along with starting a business with, with, you know, a little bit older kids?
0: Um, honestly, how much my kids and other friends helped me for free. Um, I will never remember, I will never forget things that my kids, my husband, my friends and, and, and my kids' friends, how they helped in the beginning, they would lift boxes. I'd get shipments. They'd help me pack up orders. They would, they were just so curious about what I was doing. And it was like, this really cool thing. And my kids were so proud of their family business and they would come to events and they would work with us and I couldn't pay them. They knew they worked for free. That's what family businesses do. I wasn't getting a paycheck. My husband wasn't getting a paycheck and either were my kids. And I think the, the most wonderful thing that I have learned was how people really rally around you when you do something like this, when you go out on a limb and you risk, people will support you and people will go help you. And, but the most important people were my kids and they realized the value of hard work at a very young age because they worked for many years still to this day, actually, I don't pay them. Um, they worked for many years for free. So I think it was like, no, you have food on the table. I drive you to wherever you're allowed to do your sports. You can spend a few hours on a Saturday and work this event. But not only that, they helped me with the technology part of it. They helped me with the social media part of it. They helped me with uh, learning how to run the credit card scanner. They helped me with the customer email lists and things like that, that maybe I wasn't So great at. And I think they learned and they grew and they matured by also watching what what I was doing. And they learned that they are so much more capable than they ever thought they were because they watched me doing things that I never thought I was capable of.
1: Right. I think that's such an important lesson about how you've been able to integrate your family into your, 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 basically your home life into your business and getting your family involved rather than trying to keep the two separate. And that seems like kind of a theme that you have going in your life about getting your, your network, whether that means your a family or children or your, your friends and your professional network to be involved in this, this kind of, uh, endeavor that that you that you're starting getting them excited about being a part of it i think that that's an important uh you know almost like a a, a a hack right to get to get towards success faster getting more and more people involved so when you were going to these uh sporting events initially early on to to promote and sell the products what were you doing so you're up to like a, a field hockey like a lacrosse event or you say like some hockey events or hockey sports sporting events you guys are pulling to the parking lot and what were you doing what was the goal
0: Okay so my goal was just to so I grew up in the sales and customer service industry. So that is what I love to do. I love people. I'm not really good behind a computer all day. That's not really my gift. Um I love to talk to people, meet people, and I sell by just making you my friend. That's what I enjoy doing. So there's no pressure. It's just like let me explain the product. If you like it, great. If not here here's my website, buy it later. And our goal was just to, so how it works. So when you play it, your when kids play a travel sport, there'll be hundreds of teams. Each team has about 25 kids and they go to this tournament where they're playing, the kids are playing three or four games on a Saturday, three or four games on a Sunday. And hockey works the same way. Soccer, baseball, they all, you know, every sport has certain tournaments that they do. And, and the kids, all the parents go, and the siblings a lot of times, and you literally go and set up a tent. There's food and stuff like that for each team. There's team parents that set it all up, and the kids are stuck there most of the day waiting for their next game, right? So there's always, like, a vendor area. So I actually just – we just became vendors. Um, and what we used to do, we used to attend and relax and, like, walk through the vendor area to see – What was for sale or what people had. And instead, I was like, well, I know that I can just become a vendor and that's how I can get my product out. So I would start contacting, I started by contacting all the events that my son's lacrosse team was playing in that next summer. So I was like, oh, we're going to this event, that event, that lacrosse event. Let me contact the tournament managers and see how much it is to vend what, what I need to do. And so that's how it started. So I ended up going to every event that I would go to with my son that he would normally just play in. I ended up working those events. And then I'd bring my other kids to watch the tent for me while we, my husband and I could go watch our son play. Um, And then we come back to the tent. So we go to the vendor area. We got a tent, a table. Now with the stuff I created on Vistaprint, and I have pictures of it, and I laugh hysterically because it's so bad. Um, Now we have professional signs made. But again, when we first started, we didn't have money. So we created stuff on Vistaprint, like one little sign and little postcards. We created everything ourselves. So the graphics weren't great. It wasn't perfect, but we did it. And we showed up and we were able to demo the product and put the product for sale to all the people that walked through the vendor village. And we would just go to more and more events.
1: So the way way that you mentioned that it wasn't perfect, like the, 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 the branding, the images wasn't perfect, but you guys did anyway. Did you know that at the time that it wasn't perfect? And I guess we'll start there. Did you know that at the time that it wasn't perfect? Or just looking back on it, you recognize that?
0: Um, to be honest, I knew, I I mean, looking back, I definitely look back and I laugh at, I can't believe I went to events like that. (laughs) But, but back then, no, I knew it wasn't perfect, but I didn't realize how bad it was in comparison to what I have now. Um, but I knew it wasn't perfect because I couldn't pay a graphic designer at the time to, to design these for me, so I had to do it myself. And I'd never, I've never taken a graphic design class or a marketing class, so I have no clue what I'm doing. And I just went on VistaPrint and tried to buy the cheapest ones possible.
1: Right, and the, the reason the reason I ask is because I think a lot of people will see will will, will encounter the same uh, situation as you and see, okay, this is not perfect. Let me just skip this weekend go to next week's event or go to next month's event after spend some more time perfecting this but you guys move forward anyway and kind of move forward with imperfect action
0: yeah felix you know we did a lot we laughed at ourselves like we would literally laugh at ourselves and be like we'd sometimes we'd show up and we'd forget certain things and instead of like freaking out and stressing we would just be like you know what we gotta wing it let's wing it we gotta wing it this is this is, we're here, we got to make the best of it. And I, I think we didn't have any of, any of that like, oh my gosh, my weekend's ruined. The only time it was ruined was like, if it was canceled for rain or whatever, then that was disappointing because you pay for the hotels, you pay for the event to go there and then you can't sell any products. So you lose money. So that was really hard to overcome. But as far as overcoming our mistakes, we looked at it as a learning process. Like, okay, well, next time we should make a list, right? I, I remember the, f- the first event we did, we didn't bring change. We didn't realize people actually paid in cash, right? So we didn't even have change, like dollar bills. And people would be like, and I'd be like, sorry, I don't have change. And so we literally, one of us had to go run to the bank that morning and go in and get changed right during the event. So the next time we knew, guess what? We better bring cash for change. I think it's little things like that that you can, you just learn as you go. It, it It's never going to be perfect. It's always going to be, you're always going to make mistakes.
1: Right. I think nearly all mistakes that, that entrepreneurs encounter are, almost all of them are recoverable and, or, or not nearly as big as... It's put into into your head, or you, that you can grow it into into your head. And I think that's usually what is almost a fatal blow, where they see a mistake, and instead of using it as a learning opportunity, like you said, for things they should do next time, they think, okay, this is it. I'm a failure. I'm going to just quit and kind of quit on themselves, rather than letting the market essentially, you know, cause them to fail, which is usually much, much, much later, right? You don't encounter those kind of mistakes that end your business like ever, right? It's more of these things that you 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 run into yourself and you give up on, on yourself a lot. So I think that's important and why I wanted you to talk about it because I think that if you are always trying to be perfect and are expecting perfect results, I think that kind of expectation is what burns people out and gets them to give up sooner. So I'm glad that you spoke about that. So I want to talk about that, about the market, because you mentioned that Originally, you believed that it was lacrosse, because I believe that was the, the, the sport that uh, your, your kids played. How long before you expanded beyond lacrosse? Because you mentioned that you recognized that there were other sports that this made sense. How quickly were you able to see that?
0: Uh, pretty quick, um, and that was due to mostly customer feedback. So as the product was coming out, as I started my social media pages and things like that, Um, so I initially had glove sticks, right? So that's what they were called because they were for athletic clubs. And real quickly, like my daughter was dating a guy, a guy used to be a soccer goalie. And he was like, oh my God, soccer goalie gloves stink too. And I was like, oh, my neighbor's a soccer goalie. So then we would borrow, you know, I borrowed my neighbor's son's soccer goalie gloves to see if they worked on those. And then I had, my son had friends who played hockey and we kind of grew in the glove market that way. But it wasn't until the product actually came out that I realized there was a huge market for shoes because customers were buying them going, oh my gosh, did they work in shoes? And I would say, to be honest with you, I have no clue. I never tested them in shoes. I had absolutely no clue. But people bought them and they would say, or they bought them for their glo- like lacrosse gloves or hockey gloves or or soccer goalie gloves. And then they would email me or call me and say, guess what Krista, they, they work amazing in these shoes. So it was my actual customers that were saying, I tried them in my son's helmet or arm pads or knee pads. Oh, the cleats, the, this, that, that were, that used product that were telling me that they worked in so many other things. So it wasn't until a year and a half later that I came out with my second product so that I need it works in, works in everything, but, but the glove sticks are still my flagship product. Then there's stank sticks, which is for everything else. And they have a removable handle because there were some customers who were using them in boots, like ski boots or riding boots or even UGG boots. And they would say they'd, ha- they'd cut the handle. So instead of having customers cut a handle off, I actually made my second product with a removable handle. So they still will keep, you can use them with the handle on or the handle off and they work the same exact way.
1: Yeah, I love how, how much you're ready to adapt to what your customers are, are are telling you, because I think that the other potential approach to people coming up to you and telling you, hey, I want to use this for, you know, a goalie gloves. You might be like, oh, no, 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 that's not what it's for. And then kind of just try to almost force the product into a, a market. But you were constantly listening to customer feedback and more like going with the flow with what they were saying. Now, how do you... I guess, how do you remain receptive to this
0: real? Yeah. Real quick about that, because I think this is really important is, you know, I would meet these, cust- these are customers, a lot of them strangers. And they'd ask me, does it work in this? And I'd be like, to be honest with you, I'm brand new. I have no idea. But if they bought them, I would say, look, if they don't work, you can try them. If they don't work I, I will happily give you your money back. So I think that, that is my customer service side of me. So my customer services side, which I've done my entire life. So I've been in sales. I did sales training. So I'm, I'm used to speaking in front of people. And I also did customer service for many years. I was a manager, so I'm used to working with different personalities. All those skills really came into play when starting this business and you're working events and you're talking to customers because they knew I was genuine right away they knew I was genuine because I would say, I don't know. I never made up an answer. I never said they did something they didn't do. I never oversold. I didn't have to, because I knew that they worked for what I intended them for. And then it, it was up to the customer then to report back to me. So I'd say, just please do me a favor. I'm a new business. I'm a small business. We don't know what we're doing. We're trying to grow. So all I ask is if if they work, you let me know or will you leave me a review or will you email me? But if they don't work to your satisfaction to what you're trying them in, I will happily refund your
1: money. I I think this is a really important distinction because I think that when anyone is starting out, they might also have the inclination to say yes to everything, right? If someone has a particular problem that their product might be able to solve they'll oversell like you're saying is to say yes to everything but you are setting it up in a way where you open the door for this kind of dialogue for, for feedback because a lot of times you might just say yes to a particular problem that your product might solve and then it might not be exactly what they were looking for but then they may never tell you because they because you kind of close the door on getting that feedback because you're so direct and said yes of course it works and then never begin that kind of conversation with the customer. So I think there's a really important nuance to the way that you are saying yes. You're saying yes, I you believe it should work where you kind of remove all the risk from them trying it out, but your main goal is not to get the sale. Your main goal is to get that feedback back from the customer.
0: Absolutely, and I ask for it. And so I think that's why I got so much feedback and because I asked the customer, I, you know, I I explained to them, we were new, we were trying to grow. And what was amazing is when you explain people, this story or your story or this family business, and they see my kids helping at the tent and the tournaments or whatever. And my husband, we are, you know, we, they see this and they go, you know what? These are real people or normal people. How cool, what they're doing does work as intended or whatever, I, I will take the time to email them. I will take the time to report back to them and give them my feedback because, and that, and I use that customer feedback to then create my next product. That's awesome. Yeah. Not only did I want it, but I, but I actually use their feedback, um, to, to, to grow my business to the next level.
1: Right. You're not just kind of asking for it in an empty way, you actually are trying to use it to influence the direction of your, your product. And you know, speaking of that, when you do get the, this kind of feedback and you find new problems that your product can solve or you release new products to solve similar problems, how does how do you change the way you talk about your product, especially early on when you thought that your market was lacrosse and all of a sudden it was all these other sports? Did you have to quickly change the way that, I'm sure you did, but like, what did you change about how you spoke about your product?
0: um i just would like the things that it worked in i would just add um so for example our displays at when we'd work events our displays which sh- show mostly like gloves lacrosse gloves hockey gloves so then i'd add shoes or boots or ugg boots or ice skates if 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 i had a lot enough customers telling me how well they worked in their ice skates right so then i'd add all these things to my display area and and put pictures on social media as well of them working in these other things. Um, for example, I have tons of arm pad, knee pad. Like I didn't even know there was a whole market in volleyball. And I have so many volleyball knee pad customers <laughs> like it, that. They just put the sticks in when they get off the court and put them in their bag. And so I would just ask customers, will you please send me a picture of your knee pads with the glove sticks in it? I, I, I'm not kidding you. I ask customers and and friends who are using them in different things, or if I get a testimonial or a reply or a review from a customer that said something that maybe i would not seen before, like for example, volleyball knee pads, I would email that customer and say, thank you so much. This is amazing. Would you mind taking a picture? And I would tell you 90% of the time they responded yes and sent me pictures.
1: Hey, Real quick, if you're enjoying the show, please leave us a review on iTunes. Let us know what you think or what you'd like to hear more of. Now, let's get back to the interview. So the the transition now between you mentioned that you went to all these different events, but then there's a certain point where I think it would be much more scalable if you started the, the approach of, of PR. So tell, about, tell us about this. What were the very first things that you tried to do to get PR for the business?
0: Um, to be honest, when I first started, I wasn't even thinking about PR. Um, I was just thinking about boots on the ground, hard work every weekend, go to events and deliver my message, right? Share my products with people and they will grow by word of mouth. But that got exhausting working two jobs working I do nights on at Glove Sticks and and weekends and then my other job during the day and it just really got exhausting. I had 14 year old, a 17 year old and a 23 year old and and who was home from she graduated to college but came home that year and I it literally I was like oh my gosh I was like this is much harder than I thought it would ever be possible. So again, I was like, okay, I need to change it up. And I think I learned about my personality. I've learned a lot about myself the last four years, I'll tell you that. But one of the things I really learned about my personality, I constantly have to be striving to the next goal or to the next thing. So eight months in, I felt that insanity thing happening again. And I was like, okay, I feel like I'm doing the same thing over and over again, expecting to make a profit. And yet I'm just still breaking even. Um, I'm not getting paid and I'm working harder than I've ever worked in my entire life. My husband as well. Cause he joined me. So that's when I was like, let me think outside the box. Let me do something different. And one of my friends had texted me and said, Hey Krista, do you know, there's this thing called the today shows next big thing. Um, and they're taking applications. And I was like, Oh, please, honey. I was like, please there's no way that my product would be selected that initially I was like, there is not a chance. There is no way I'm going to pitch this product on the today show. I'd never been on TV before. I had no clue even how to do an elevator pitch or anything like that. And I was like, no way. So it was about like, Every single night, I'm telling you, I started Googling it. i look it up. I read on the website. And every day, all day, it just, there was like a little birdie in my head, which was like, just apply, apply, apply. Like, I couldn't get it out with, when I was trying to go for glove sticks, when I was, when the same feeling, it was like, do it, do it, do it. Like, that urgency or that push inside my head um, my, little, my little angel was saying, do it, do it. It was kind of like it was that same feeling. So on the last day um, of the applications, I, I filled out my application and I applied. And I remember, gosh, maybe three or four weeks later getting a call. I was bringing the groceries in and I get a call from the QVC rep. And I was like, what, what? Like I hadn't even told my family or anything so I made it through the process. It was probably about 6 weeks later, I went to the Today Show, pitched live. So it was a contest, there were 9 of us that made it to the to the actual Today Show to pitch. I pitched live. I made it to the finals on the last day, there were 3 of us and then I got picked the winner. So America voted me to the finals and then the Today Show and QVC reps voted me the winner. What that got me was a trip to QVC the next day. So QVC put a big purchase order in, and I was able to sell live on the Saturday morning queue on QVC, and I sold out in seven and a half minutes.
1: Wow. So this all happened within like 48 hours?
0: No. So yeah, so Thursday was my pitch day. Friday was the finals. Saturday, I went to QVC.
1: Yeah, so obviously the t- today's show. You mentioned that here that you had several appearances on QVC, other news shows, and of course, we talk a bit about Shark Tank. What do you think makes your story or makes your business attractive to to these uh, you know large platforms?
0: Um, I think it's really cool when someone actually has an idea and invents a product that did not exist in the world, and I think having my story as a mom solving a problem is very relatable to a lot of people because there are tons of moms who have tons of ideas and nobody ever does anything with it because of their fear. So my story of fighting my fear and kind of going for it, despite the fact I knew had no clue what I was doing and I had zero training, I think that's what makes my story so appealing. And once I realized that I was good at these like pitch contests or whatever. And I went to QVC and sold out and then QVC and inv- bought, you know, invited me back several times. I was just on last month again. And once, once, like once that started happening, I, it was this adrenaline rush that I'd never felt before. And it was like the coolest thing ever. And it was like, you're, you're so scared out of your mind, scared, like, knees shaking, want to throw up, armpits sweating, freaking out. And then you nail something and it's this, this glorious feeling like I'd never felt before. So then I realized that I was really enjoying that. Like I enjoy that thrill and that scared part of like challenging myself to something new. So that's how the whole PR thing started. So after the today show in QVC, I, that feeling of of needing something new and and pushing myself to the next level is what kept me to applying for certain awards. Like why I would even apply for to win an entrepreneur award for Sam's Club. Like I won, you know, one of their awards for entrepreneur of the year for my business at Glove Sticks, which you know it's a, it's a nationally recognized Sam's Club and score. Why I would even think in a million years I deserve that is crazy but that wasn't the point it was the challenge of getting it that i that i was really starting to enjoy the challenge of going after it and the challenge i would get from like and the spike in sales that i recognized i was getting from this free pr so I would say the first few years, I spent zero money on advertising.
1: Yeah, so this this QVC pitch, I think you might have been one of the first ones on the show that has had this opportunity that this this opportunity to get go on QVC. You mentioned you've done it several times already. Now I want to talk about the first time though, because you basically had like twenty-four hours to prepare a pitch on, on TV that which was so successful that you sold out in seven minutes. So what did you do when you found out that you're going to be going on QVC to to do a pitch and this could essentially be very, you know, life-changing for you and the business. Um,
0: yes, and it definitely was. And I think the, today. so what happened was when I won the Today Show on that Friday, they, my husband was with me. They actually whisked us off to the, out the back entrance of this Today Show into a car and they drove us to QVC. So it was a few hour drive. We went right to QVC or we, we went right to a hotel. They checked us in, Um, And this was the QVC people. And then they took me to QVC. I got a tour of QVC. So there's like a video live Facebook video where where Jill Martin, who um, has her own brand on QVC, and she's also on the Today Show. So she was like touring me like touring me through the QVC building and Jill Martin, who's has a lot of followers and a lot of social media and she's on the today show like three times a week. And I was like, this is insane. Like literally I just kept saying to myself, this is insane. It was, it was actually insane. Um, and so there really was no time necessarily to get my pitch down, I guess. But what they did was they put me through a training. So, Once all the cameras were off, I sat down with QVC, um, with their reps and their salespeople, and they kind of put me through a mini few hour training. Now, mind you, I I was coming off of three days of no sleep. So it's not like you sleep when you're about to pitch live on the Today Show, right? You don't, you don't sleep. Um, (laughs) so I was coming off of like three days before that with no sleep. And then I was sitting here, I was sitting listening to this training, and I remember absorbing vi- like none of it. Um, and I, it was about three hours, and I was like, okay, I'm just going to do the best I can. And I think that's my faith that comes through, like my trust in myself, to know that if I'm a genuine, if I'm myself, people are going to like me if I pretend to be somebody else. The camera is going to see it. And the people on the other side of the camera are going to see it. So if I'm myself, then I don't really need training. I just need to be myself. Like, what do I do when I'm selling at an event? I had been selling it at an event for eight months before. I just did the same pitch I would do then. I didn't do anything special or different. I just was myself. And I think that's why people in, you know, liked it. And I think that's why people enjoyed my pitch, even from the Today Show to QVC. It was a lot harder, though. QVC is a lot harder than people think it is. That was much harder than the Today Show because I have like a total ADD issues. And so you have an earpiece in your ear. You have to look at a camera and you have an earpiece with the producer in your ear telling you, oh, repeat that or say that again. And then you're talking to the host who's also having a conversation with you that you have to answer questions and then every time i look there's a different camera with a red light that i have to look at so i literally oh, wow. was like loss of
1: uh, coordination
0: yeah that was so hard but but again i i just tried to be myself and i was just like i i mean i i'm pretty sure i said like this is amazing this is so overwhelming i have no idea what i'm doing i pretty much said that like 800 times on national television like <laughs>
1: Yeah, I mean, I think that there's a there's a lot to be said said about that I think I think what you're saying is like it's a lot harder to Try to be someone else right? That's kind of obvious But you're saying that if you just kind of go on autopilot and go kind of be yourself You get to go on autopilot and you don't have to like filter or think about how you should say things and That definitely removes a lot of the stress from it because you feel Confident in just putting yourself out there like this is me. This is who I am Like it or not, you know, just kind of go with that 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 approach. I think that by doing that, you don't have to think about am I being consistent in my messaging. You have to think about all these kind of, you know, I guess marketing terms as much by just if you just focus on being yourself.
0: And I think that is extremely important, especially if you are trying to get PR on a you know national level. I think it's really important because so many people go and try to act like something that they're not and the people on the other end of the TV or the the newspaper or even behind the scenes at QVC, all those people were like rooting for me and wanting the best for me because I was totally like giggling in myself and I'd make a mistake and I'd be like, well, good thing nobody knows. Nobody's been on QVC before. They don't know about my mistakes, you know? And I think that's really important to remember. I, I remember that from, from, like team building and, and sales training that I did before. And one of the things I, I taught myself was if, if I say something, um, or if I don't say something that I was supposed to say, or if I forgot to say something, the people that are in the room are not going to know. So don't stress about it. Just keep going. You know, it's, and I think that's the one, one approach that I tried to say, like if I forget to say something I shouldn't have said, it's not the end of the world because the other people on the other end listening don't know that you were supposed to say that. Only you know.
1: Right. You, you're only one that has like the behind-the-scenes access. Like No one else is peeking behind your, in your brain and, That's right. and hearing the kind of inner dialogue. That makes a lot of sense. So let's talk about the, 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 the biggest, I think, I would argue, the platform that, that you've been on, which is Shark Tank. So how did this happen? How did you get on, on Shark Tank?
0: Shark Tank was like, no way, never, never. I'm never doing Shark Tank that's insane. They're going to pick me apart. I'm not a business person. I'm literally like just winging it, having a great time. (laughs) Um, and it was kind of one of those things where I felt I was starting to get in a slump again and I was starting to not feel necessarily challenged. And it was one of those things where I was like, this is the big time. Like everything I thought I'd done, um, was Every time I would try something new or or go out for an award or try a TV thing or go back to QVC I was filled with this joy and excitement and I'd leave on a high and that would get me through the hard days because I would look back and go wow like I did some really cool stuff so when I'd struggle with something those those highs I had would get me through those lows and so again I was starting to like a downward cycle, you know, spending a lot more time in my office. I'm a people person. So I, I, I spent a lot less time at my other job doing sales training, more time doing glove sticks and more time in my office. And I just felt like it was finally time to, I was needing something else to try for, even though it was a long shot, but the kicker, the thing that did it for me was I, everybody I met everywhere always asked me, when are you going on Shark Tank? And my answer was always like, never, I'm never doing that. I never don't want that pressure. I can't do that. I can't do that. And once I had said it so many times, and I realized that for the last two and a half years, I literally overcame every fear that I had. Why can't I overcome this? I actually just Googled it. So I got invited invited back to the Today Show. So they invited me back to um, do like a follow-up. So I was going to New York City and I just kind of was like, I wonder when the open casting call is for Shark Tank. I'm just curious. So I went on the website and the day after I was going to be in New York City for the Today Show, that morning... Three blocks away was the open casting call for Shark Tank.
1: So, so, when you when you got on the show, what did you what did you I guess what did you come into Shark Tank asking for, and what did you leave with?
0: So, um, you know, Shark Tank's like a f- several month process to actually go to LA to film, and I I really wanted something realistic, but I also wanted something I could negotiate with. So um, I went in asking for um, $150,000 for ten percent. And I knew I would go to 15% for 150000 without asking my husband. So I left like a 5% leeway. I knew I didn't want to give away too much because I felt like this is my business. I work my butt off. I'm not just going to give it away. But I also knew I had to be realistic about um, what my company was worth. So I went in a little higher, but not too much knowing that they would negotiate with me. And we ended up doing 17% for uh, 115,000 150,000 but I got two sharks. So I got um, I made a deal on Shark Tank with Lori Grenier and Alex Rodriguez.
1: That's awesome. So it you know I guess what is life like after you know making it on a show like Shark Tank? What were the results of that that kind of appearance? How, I guess how did it change your your business?
0: I have to say that that Shark Tank was probably has to be hands down the hardest thing I've ever done, just preparing for shark tank, no just going through the process, the adrenaline, the afterwards you're dealing with highs and lows, like did I say something wrong? Will I get aired because you don't know if you're gonna air like that it, it's kind of like a six to nine month emotional roller coaster that is completely overwhelming outside of yourself, like insane um and I look back at that experience, and when I finally did get aired on Shark Tank, the I did in two months after Shark Tank, I did more business than I did the entire year before, and that included the Today Show and QVC sellout.
1: Wow, it's a huge platform, yeah.
0: It was huge. Um, I it, it was a huge bump in my business. I had... A great edit. And so I'm very appreciative to Shark Tank for that. So even though Alex, so the way it works is right. So you make a deal on the show and then you go through due diligence. So even though most companies don't close or a lot don't close, and I didn't end up closing mine, the bump for my business and the hundreds and hundreds of people that emailed me in support of my story and my business was probably the most incredible moments of my life that lasted forever. It's like, it's like winning. It, it, it's like winning the world cup every day for months and months and months. That's that feeling. It's, it's something you, you, I, you can't trade it. You, you just can't. There's no money, amount of money that can give you that for me. It, it wasn't about the sales. It was about the hundreds of people, strangers that would email me because they watched my episode And that who said I touched them or inspired them or who just wanted to wish me good luck. And it was complete strangers. And I go back to those emails sometime when I'm dealing with some issues. Now I'll go back. I have a whole folder of emails. I'll go back and read some of them just to remember that feeling that I had and that I'm on the right path. And what I'm doing is bigger than me. Um, and so that is my mission. That is my goal. It is nothing to do with how much money I make. Although we've done a few million in sales now, that has never been my goal. It has never been my mission. I don't do monthly forecasts. I don't do yearly forecasts. I know I'm against the grain, but what I do is, how. You know, what is my passion? Am, am I getting closer? Am I a good person? Am I doing the right things? Am I afford to give back? And The bigger I grow, the more I give back. I donate part of my sales to um, military, to veterans, to um, first responder organizations. I I do all kinds of different fundraisers and sponsorships. And that's how I choose to grow with my business. Because it it really isn't about the money for me. I know that sounds crazy. I mean, I want to make money. It's not fun not making money. (laughs) But but I also want to be an inspiration and I want to do good things with what I've been given. And I'm just very appreciative for all the support that I've had.
1: Awesome. So Glovestix.com, G-L-O-V-E-S-T-I-X.com. I'll leave you this last question. What do you think needs to happen for you this year for you to consider the year a success?
0: Okay, so I, I, I actually just got one of, through one of my hardest thumps or, or that I've been through, and it's July, so I sold out. I changed manufacturers. I had manufacturing issues. They they showed up wrong. I had to recall a bunch of products. I just went through what I've been through in the beginning of 2019 was so mentally challenging and frustrating. Even though I thought I was already through, like the hard part, it. I realized. I realized that it doesn't stop getting harder. You just keep getting stronger. And I made it through what I've been through the first few months of 2019. And it was really, really, really tough making it through it. And I'm still have a profitable business and I'm still inspiring people and I'm still selling. And for that reason, I think my year is already a success. Maybe it's not what other people would consider their success, but I still drive the same car I drove seven years ago, even though I've had financial success. That's not what's important. It's more like me challenging myself and I've really challenged myself this year. I really went through some hard things and I realized I'm so much stronger than I was four years ago when I started this and that's a success.
1: Awesome. So it's such an amazing, inspiring story. You have such a hunger for the challenges, which I think is, is amazing and a great message to put out there for entrepreneurs. So thank you again so much for coming on and sharing your, your story and your experience, Krista.
0: Thank you, Felix, for having me. I really appreciate it.
1: Thanks for tuning in to another episode of Shopify Masters, the e-commerce podcast for ambitious entrepreneurs powered by Shopify.